0: or not, summer ended a week or two ago and we're headed to Christmas. But in between now and Christmas is Thanksgiving and so that tells me it's time for Operation Christmas Child. They had the meeting here yesterday to distribute boxes to the various churches, but we have a responsibility as well. I think at this time in history, this year, we have a greater opportunity to witness the Lord Jesus Christ through the filling of the Operation Christmas Child box As you look at the news and you see all the displaced people in Iraq and uh, Turkey and Syria and all, I think there's a great opportunity in that to share the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jim and Dee, they're the ones who are over Operation Christmas Child. They just have a few words they'd like to say.
1: This takes me a little out of my comfort zone. You know, it's funny how I have no problem singing on mic, but talking in front of crowds—that's a problem for me at times. (laughs) But anyway, as Pastor said, we had our uh, Operation Christmas Child box event yesterday. You know, went very well. We had probably 40, 45, 50 people here from like 20 25 different churches that came down to pick up their boxes to you know be able to distribute anyway operation christmas child has been uh in existence since 1993 it now serves over 130 countries and uh has distributed over 100 million shoeboxes throughout the world in that 21 years. And, you know, Christmas is upon us now. Time just flies so fast. But uh, anyway, uh, for Calvary Chapel, Ontario, our, uh, our goal is, you know, we'd like to do more than we did last year. Last year we did over 100 boxes, but I know we can do better than that the boxes that the the children that receive these boxes are if you were able to see them face to face I mean these are gifts that they've probably never received a gift before in their life I've had uh, in our D and I have been with Christmas Child since the inception 1993 and uh I'd like to share one little story, I'll, I'll make it quick. But in 1993, we had sent out one shoebox. Well, we sent out several that year, but one shoebox went to this one young man, he lived in Kosovo. And he received this box at the age of eight years old. Kosovo at that time was in turmoil, it was uh, you know, very war-torn, uh, Donajol, which is this young boy's name, him and his family, they were running from, you know, two steps ahead of the war. They were running from city to city trying to avoid the war. Anyway, Donajol received a box from us in 1993. Ten years later, at the age of 18, we got a response in the, in the mail from Donizel. Get that ten years later, anyway, uh, he you know wrote this letter to us, thanking us for the box, and how he can 't believe that someone that doesn 't even know him could give him a gift he 's never received a gift before, but uh, anyway, he got this box. the toys that we sent you know over the years were you know broken and discarded, but he kept one. It was like a little Christmas card that we had sent with it, and it had a salvation track with it. And uh, anyway, he kept this one card on him for 10 years, running from city to city. He couldn't read English at the time, but he knew that this card was something good. So he kept this card on him for 10 years. Anyway... To make a long story short, at the age of 18, he was able to read English. He read the card, and it had a salvation message. He gave his life to the Lord, and him and his two friends, at the age of 18, after they graduated high school, they decided they're going to Bible college. So these, two, these three boys left Kosovo, went to England went to Bible college, graduated from Bible college, and Donegal's ultimate goal was to be able to take the gospel back to his hometown, which he did. He graduated high school. Him and his two friends went back to their hometown and started a sports ministry. They were very involved in soccer. Started a sports ministry, which, far as I know, is still going on today. Now, that's just through one box, one box that went full circle. So that's the goal. You know, I'd like to see everyone here, you know, get on fire for Operation Christmas Child. It is such an awesome organization. It is such an awesome way to spread the gospel. Dee and I, we've, uh, we've received four... Uh, letters from kids which when you go out you'll see we have a poster board out there with some of the letters that we've received back from the kids thanking us for the boxes and what it's done in their lives Uh, as Calvary Chapel Ontario our goal is not only to collect the boxes but we'd like to have them uh, in by November 17th cuz that whole week is our uh collection week and we'd like to have our boxes in by November 17th so we can get them all packed into the master cases and sent to the collection site but if there's anything more I can say and it's just get involved you know as the there's an old telephone cliche reach out and touch someone and through this box you're able to not only touch the kids but it touches the it touches a whole family and like i said we've seen a box go full circle and that's the ultimate goal to be able to spread the gospel through these shoe boxes and we've seen it done and it's we've seen it done many times so get excited get involved we'll be out at the table at the end of service and you know if you want to talk with us about it go out and read the uh, letters we had and just it's exciting get involved I'm stealing this. <laughs> How many of you like to share Jesus? How many of you like to share, would like to share Jesus but are a little afraid? This is a way for you to share Jesus to countries around the world because your vehicle of a shoebox they are able to get gospel messages in and actually teach the children about Jesus, which in turn expands to their family. But they have to have the shoebox as the vehicle to do it because the shoebox is what gets them in the country, and then they're able to share Jesus. You can do that without even uttering a word, so be a part of Operation Christmas Child. <clears throat> this is
0: Uh, The shoeboxes are out in the uh, fellowship area. What you do is you get one, you take it home, and you just fill it up. There's a list out there that has suggestions on what to fill it with. And so for five bucks, you can make a difference. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And again, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. Should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you need a Bible, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Everybody good? Colossians chapter 3. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, once again, we just lift up Your Word that You would prepare us for the things that You have for us, Lord, in our ministries and even in the week or weeks to come. That, Father, we would truly rightly represent You in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We had our men's retreat last weekend and I thought it went really well. I think the current retreat should seem as if it is the best retreat we ever had. And this one seemed to be the best men's retreat we have ever had. The topical was spiritual warfare. It's important to know and we have to remember that we are fighting a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 12 through 13 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness, In the heavenly places, therefore, or since that's a reality, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done to all stand or he's saying, make a stand. And we can think of spiritual warfare of heads spinning around and spewing vomit, but that's not it. Spiritual warfare is the battle that we fight on so many different fronts. It's the battle that you fight for your kid's teacher and the agenda, the liberal agenda that is being taught there, not in every place, but in a, a lot of our public schools. It's the battle that we fight the content that comes onto TV. It's the battle we fight with marriage and what is biblical marriage versus what society is causing marriage to be today. It's the battle that you fight in your own mind. When I taught on Friday night, my text was 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That high thing that exalts itself against God is probably the worst enemy and that's you. That's your flesh, that's your desires, it's your wants and your will. When it comes to will, well, it's either God's will or it's my will and somebody's got to die. It's either going to be God in my life if I go according to my will or it needs to be me to die and live according to the will of God. But it's most important to know that we are at war. To know that we are at war and to fight this battle every single day. In 1938, Neville Chamberlain, he was the Prime Minister of England. He traveled to Munich, Germany, to meet with representatives from France, Germany, Italy, and again he represented England. After the meetings were over, Chamberlain he just didn't want to go to war. World War I is done. Millions of people were killed. obviously it was a horrible thing, but now all of a sudden Hitler is upon the scene, and this is pre-World War II, and he's wanting to avoid a war at all costs, does not want to enter into the battle. And so he, after this meeting, he privately meets with Hitler, and they work out an agreement between themselves. It's called the Anglo-German Agreement. It was a paper that both men signed agreeing to never go to war against one another. When he left the meeting, Chamberlain, he rejoiced. He said, I got it. I got this agreement. We don't have to go to war. Hitler, when he left the meeting, he declared to an aide, oh, don't take it so seriously. That piece of paper is of no further significance whatsoever. Now, one of Chamberlain's aides or somebody who was subservient to him, a man named Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill understood the threat. He understood that war is coming. Chamberlain decided to live in fantasy land. Winston Churchill told the House of Commons, England has been offered a choice between war and shame. She has chosen shame and will get war. Well, Chamberlain succumbed to the wiles of Hitler and he was found to be a fool. Within a year, England was at war with Germany. All of Europe was at war with Germany. And in 1940, he was replaced by Winston Churchill as Prime Minister of England. Chamberlain's problem, he didn't perceive the intentions of the enemy and the reality of war. He didn't understand the, the reality of evil. And again, Hitler was evil as, well, he's the personification of evil. But he didn't understand not only secular, if you will, concept of war, but he didn't understand the spiritual battle as well. And again, as Hitler, how many Jewish people did he kill? I think it was six million And there's a war to fight. And if you don't enter into the battle, you will soon suffer defeat. Because England was not proactive in the battle as it was starting, they had to play catch-up the whole time. They probably would have lost World War II if America did not enter in. Matter of fact, a lot of London and a lot of the English cities were decimated by the Blitzkrieg. And all of this because one man just didn't want to go to war. Now, we shouldn't want to go to war, but the reality was, they were at war. War was coming, it was on the horizon, and they should have entered in, and they should have been proactive. Because they weren't proactive, they were rolled over to a degree. And it's the same thing in our lives. There's war, and you're going to enter into this battle in this coming week. And and you know what the enemy? The enemy, guys, is going to have your wife's dress on. Or, or ladies, the enemy The enemy's going to come home at 5 o'clock after work as he usually does every day. Or the enemy, they're going to be those little ones in your house. Now obviously, they're not the enemy. But there's going to be a spiritual battle in that realm. There's going to be a spiritual battle at the workplace, in the playground, in society, whatever it might be. We're going to enter into a spiritual battle here in a couple of weeks. I believe it's November 4th. Not sure on that. But we have the midterm elections. That is a battlefield and believers need to be prepared for it. We need to put on the armor of God. We have to enter into the voting booth and we need to vote according to what the word of God says. We haven't gotten them yet. Usually we have them now, but I try my best to get the voting guides here so that you can see. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but it should be obvious if you read your Bible and you look at what the candidates believe and you ought to vote accordingly. We're told in Romans chapter 13 that the candidate, the the king, if you will, is put there by the will of God. Well, how is the will of God exercised? As people who are filled with the Holy Spirit enter into that booth and vote according to God's will. If we don't do that, then it's going to be God's will that we have a godless, godless people who are running this nation. And so if you look at the state of nation and you see how godless it is, You need to consider yourself. Are you fighting the battle? Are you doing all that you can possibly do? Last week, we were reminded that we did, or we have won the war already. But today, we're also reminded that the battle still rages on. We won the war, but we still continue to fight the battles daily. Now, there will come a time when we will be able to rest in peace in Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away Then he who sat on the throne shall, or said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And so they are, but that time has not come we have not entered into that time of rest as far as fighting the battles it's been said that war is hell and the bad news is we are at war the good news is is that we are as close to hell as we will ever be now last week we saw in verses 1 through 4 we saw our victories in Christ again the war has been won but we still fight the battles and we do rejoice in the war being won, and we need to we need to grasp onto that so that we know, as Paul said in the book of Romans, that we fight from the perspective of well we 're more than conquerors that means we 've won the battles before we even enter in, but the thing about it is you 've got to enter in you 've got to fight you've got to know what the kids are doing you've got to understand what the kids are reading and what they 're watching and and even today, on the cell phones, and especially if they have a smartphone, what are the things that they're filling their minds with? you got to understand what the teachers are teaching them at school and the children that they're associating with. Husband and wife, you need to be accountable to one another. You need to make decisions for your home. You do need to have rules in the house because you need to conduct it decently and order. You need to come to an agreement on what you watch and, well, what you ought not to be watching, even yourselves and what enters in to your minds, and you ought not to compromise on those things. And all of this is based upon, again, verses 1-4, through if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You were raised with Christ. And we saw that's the totality of the crucifixion and the resurrection. We, you know, raised with Christ, we can so limit it to just one half, the resurrection. And it's true. You were raised with Christ. You were raised from the dead. But you got to see it goes a little bit further. Because what did Jesus say? If I be raised up, I will draw all men unto myself. When he said raised up, he was speaking of his crucifixion. So if you were raised with Christ, that means you were raised up on your cross too your cross that's the place where your flesh your flesh is to be nailed to Christ's cross that's the place where your sins were nailed to so to be raised with Christ is to be crucified with Christ i was crucified with Christ galatians chapter 2 verse 20 it is no longer i live but Christ who lives within me and this life i live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loves me and gave his life for me i need to be crucified the old man has to be crucified and i'm also need to come to the understanding that i have this new life in the lord jesus christ i was raised up on the cross and i died but i was raised up from the dead to a new and glorious life second thing we are to do we saw last week is to set our minds on things above This is to understand that heaven is the finish line and as for today, we have to be pushing on. We've got to be pushing on in the battle. We have been called to fight proactively against the things and the wiles of the devil and the trickeries of mankind. Thirdly, we know that we are now hidden with Christ. See, the enemy can torment you, but he cannot touch you. Another way of thinking about this is substitute for hidden All wrapped up in, all wrapped up in Christ. You've heard the saying: He's all wrapped up in his work, all wrapped up in a relationship, all wrapped up in a in in a habit or whatever it might be. But again, it should be something that your friends should be able to say: Well, what, what what's up with Mike? He used to be all wrapped up in verse five. Fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, and then down at verse eight, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. But now he's all wrapped up in well look at verse twelve, holiness, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. They should see the change in you. They should see the change in you and from that you should speak of who made that change in you. The Christian life, again, is to be something that we are active in and and, and willfully pushing forward. This is reality. This is reality. Never, if you look from cover to cover, never was the church intended to go into a building and sit there one hour a week. That's not what God's intent was for the church. Now, it's a necessity to be taught and trained and that's why we do it. And, and the Bible tells us not to forsake the gathering together of one another, but that's not the totality of the Christian life. And if that's the totality of your Christian life, then you're missing something. You need to look yourself in the mirror and see, am I truly, am I a Christian or am I born again? What's the difference? Well, a Christian, we have so attached to doing Christian things. Owning a Bible, carrying it around, reading it once in a while, attending church when I feel like it. Somebody's born again, it's the totality of Christ. You are in Christ. Christ has filled your life. You have repented of your sins and you have come to Christ and now you are walking, actively walking in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So then how must the saints in Christ who are in Ontario live today? What is to be our response based upon what Christ has done? How are we to rage this war? Well, we've already seen that the warfare is not to be waged through, we saw this in past studies, legalism. Rules that we are supposed to do that supposedly make us more holy. Mysticism. It's not a higher standard of, or a higher spiritual awareness. Or asceticism. It's not about not doing this and not doing that. That sounds a lot like my past religious experience before I was born again, all about doing these things which I've been told to do and not doing these things which I've been told to do and having this great spiritual thing through ceremonies and all of that. It didn't work in my life. It's never worked in anybody's life. So, what are we to do? How are we to fight this fight? How are we to struggle the good struggle? Well, here we're told simply to dress for success, dress for success. You probably dress more than likely for what it is you're about to do. I picked this because I was going to be up here today. I dressed this way in case you were, why in the world did he wear that? That's why. I've been doing some work around our house lately, crawling in the attic, and so I dressed appropriately. I wore some old clothes, and I get itchy with the insulation, so I wore a long sleeve and put everything tight, and the the big mask and goggles and a hat and the whole thing, and I was dressed for that. I play golf usually on Monday morning, so I dress like a golfer because I don't look like a golfer the way I play golf. So that way they could tell. And so if you're a Christian, this is how you are to dress. You are to take off the old man and put on the new man. And the idea is as if you're taking off some old dirty clothes and putting on new clean clothes. Clothes. What we are to do is we are to remove the old grave cloths of the dead man, that which has a stench, that which is disgusting in the sight of God, and we are to put on the holy wedding garments of a righteous man, that which is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Your clothes again are, are how you are perceived. It's an outward expression of what you are going to do. What follows here today that we're going to look at in verses five through eleven are standards that are to be removed from our life. These are sub-moral, sub-biblical, and sub-Christian. These are the old grubby clothes worn by somebody who has a grubby mind, unacceptable in the house of God, in the sight of God. A little sub-note here before we get into this. Know this, and it's important to know so that you are not defeated because the devil will whisper contrary in your ear. What follows here does not mean that you will not completely eradicate sin from your life. That's not going to happen. The things that we read about here, they will happen again in your life. But what is it that shines through over and above these things? See, as a Christian, I am not going to live a perfect life. I am going to stumble. I am going to fall. And I thank God for His grace. But what I choose not to do, and what I must choose not to do, is to jump in sin or to walk in sin. I, I jump into a relationship with Christ and what He has done, and I walk in Christ, although there's going to be times when I stumble. Look what John wrote. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10, If we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Now you look at that and you think, well, yeah, I did that on the day I was saved, or those people out there, they should do that. You should go out there, Pastor Mike, and read it to them. Well, look at the personal pronouns here. Personal pronouns. Well, if you flunked English... It's the we's, it's the us, it's the ours, it's the, well, I guess that's everything that's there, ourselves. He's not talking to the world. Now, let me read it again with the personal pronouns amplified. If we, those who are born again, the church, if we say that we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Now what is the theme of John's epistle? 1 John, it's joy in the Christian life. If you're going to live a life and you think that you're going to live a perfect life or you have to live a perfect life, I guarantee it, you're not going to have joy in your Christian life. It will be void. Pastor Mike, this is great. You're giving me a license to sin. If you think that, you're a fool as well. No, we go out when we walk in Christ. We do the best that we can. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. We've got God's great grace, and I ought not to cheapen God's great grace, but rejoice in His great grace. Knowing that that grace is there for me when I do stumble and I do fall. And that's the point that John is making because he's writing these things to the church. If you say that you do not sin, Christian, you're a liar. But if you confess them to Christ, He's faithful and He's just to forgive you of your sins. He's faithful. He's going to do it time and time again. This has got to be a genuine repentance and a desire for Christ. He's faithful. And again, I brought it up Thursday, just a word. I always focus on the faithful, but I... Didn't really see the just. But it's a just thing that God forgives the born-again believer of His sin. It's justice because Christ paid the price upon the cross. Because of Christ's act upon the cross, then I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm forgiven of all of my sins. So, as Paul is encouraging us, and John tells us, we do not surrender to sin, but we must fight against sin. Look at it this way. World War II, when we finally went to war against Germany, we fought in Africa, we moved up into Italy, but then finally came that time that we had to invade Europe. We call it D-Day, June 6, 1944. June 6, 1944 was an amazing thing. 3,000 Americans gave their lives storming those beaches, but we developed a beachhead and we moved in. And there was the headlines, the Allies attack, invade Europe, and there was an excitement about that, but they didn't stop on that day. If they would have stopped, hey, we were here, we did it. If they would have stopped, they would have been wiped off the map. No, they had to push forward. And it was a little, just a little bit under a year, a month or two beyond a year, that we finally had VE Day, victory in Europe. But you know what they did in between D-Day and VE Day? They fought. They fought. People gave their lives. They pushed forward. They did more than really what could be imaginably expected of somebody else. And it's the same thing. I had my D day, that day that I was saved, and I so look for that VH day, victory in heaven, but in between I got to fight the battle because there's nothing sadder than a Christian that has been rendered ineffective. And so because of verses 1-4, through verse 5 starts out, therefore, and so he's talking to born-again believers who were raised with Christ and set their minds on things above and who are wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Fight your best against fornication. Now, the enemy seeks to divide and conquer through deception. Going back to the beginning of the Bible, there was Adam and Eve, and they knew each other. They had sexual relations with one another. And we're told the two had become one. God has invented, it was God who created the sexual relationship between husband and wife. I look at the Bible and I see, oh, He did that to attach them together, to glue them together so that the two would become one. And what God has joined together through the sexual relationship, let not man separate. But the problem is, the enemy has entered in and deceived mankind, and we had the sexual revolution, and we lost. Mankind lost. They thought they won, but they lost, and we continue to give ground today. Fornication. Fight your best against fornication or things that are sexually immoral. The Greek word for fornication, you'll recognize it, is pornea. It's where we get the word for pornography. The problem is, this is what worldly entertainment, worldly advertising, and general amusement revolves around today. We've lost these battlefronts today, and the world is jumping and diving into these things, and it's permeating our society. We were on vacation, and we were in a hotel not too long ago. We went up north at my nephew's wedding, and my wife was watching a uh, home you know, those homes when they go in and they remodel homes and all that kind of stuff. She was watching it was on, and I just notice, everything is sexy. Everything is sexy anymore. You know, I'm looking at this counter, and they're telling us how sexy the counter is. I'm thinking, "Really? Really? <laughs> I mean, it just shows you to the degree. And I bet you if you told that person, why'd you call the counter sexy? Oh, I called the counter sexy, I didn't even know it. Because it's permeated into such a degree. A couple of years ago, we had the Paris Hilton Carl's Jr. commercial. That was borderline pornography. And it just came on as you're watching TV. See, the argument used to be, well, if you don't like it, don't turn it on. If you don't like pornography, don't go watch it but we don't have that choice anymore. I was watching a football game the other day, and this vampire uh, commercial came on, a show for a vampire show of some sort, and there's a woman there, just showed her from like here up, but she's having sex, and it's obvious. And you don't have the choice. Remember, uh, not Michael Jackson, his sister, Janet Jackson, and the Super Bowl commercial. You didn't have a choice there. I remember I was watching football since I was probably 10 years old. And you got a typical 10-year-old kid watching the Super Bowl and all of a sudden she's exposing herself on this national stage. It's permeated in society to such a degree that, you know, the mindset is, well, what's the big deal anyway? Well, it's a big deal because we're watching families fall apart. Ask some woman whose husband is engrossed in pornography what the big deal is, and you'll see, you'll see the heartache and you'll see the destruction there. And what's the big deal about romance and vampires? I don't understand that either. This demon possessed being and people want to have romantic relationships with them. I mean, seriously. I, I'm saying that kind of to be funny, but on the other hand, I'm dead serious. You got this demonic, demonic what is he? Demonic. That's it. Demonic being, and you want to have romantic relationship with them. It's sick. Secondly, fight your best against uncleanliness or sexually loose behavior. And you'll notice there's a progression, or maybe I should say regression, to one of these. Because everybody, you know, who was it? Uh, Bundy, the, the mass murderer. How did it start? Uh, Dobson, I think it was with Bundy, he did an investigation and interviewed him even, and it started out from pornography. That he started. His dad had pornography laying around the house, and... In prepubescent years, he started getting into that, and it's just something that progressed and progressed, and all the way to what it is that he did. Fight your best against uncleanliness or sexually loose behavior. This would include sexual innuendo, jokes, or sexually seasoned language. You know people like this. Perfectly, you're not a person like this, but you know people like this. It's after you're done spending time with them, you feel like you need to go home and take a shower. It just seems like you've had this barrage of filth directed towards you. This is a general moral impurity of minds, thoughts that result in actions. Thirdly, fight your best against passion or lusts that use others for gratification. This is the type of person who will use love as a lure for their lusts. Fourthly, fight your best against evil desires or a craving for immoral things. Fifthly, Fight your best against covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is the ungodly desire for more. More in context, more of the things that we just talked about. The idols here, well, we've got plenty of idols that represent these things. The Playboy Bunny. You've got porn images and, you know, I can so easily go to the porn place. And I know there's men, obviously, but there's women that struggle with that at all. But I would put in the same category and how I use to define this, the standard that I personally use to define this, that, well, what's porn? Porn is anything that your wife, men, will not be able to live up to. You're, you've got these images that, of whatever it is that is not reality. And your wife will never be able to live up to it because it's not reality. But on the other end of the stick, there's things that women who I think are just as pornographic that will get into that their husband will never be able to live up to. And there's a lot of romance novels and all of these things that you fill your mind with and what it does is it devaluates your husband. Or husbands that you fill your minds with and it devaluates devalu- your wife. And so what has happened? The two have become one and that, that that bond that's there, that glue that's there, it's kind of withered away. And all of a sudden, she's over there and he's over there and there's no together anymore and they're off in they're separate fantasy worlds. I need to replace the battery in my iPad and I can't figure out how to take it apart. And so I YouTubed it. If you can't figure anything out, just YouTube it and it'll tell you. And so I YouTube'd it and, well, that screen is just held onto the metal case with double back tape. And the way you take the double back tape is you get a hair dryer or a heat gun would even be better and you put a little bit of heat on it and you can get it and you can pop the cover off and you can get at the guts. And it's the same thing that's happened in pornography, romance, whatever it might be, the heat has been applied. And now that which has been strong and adhered and held together, it's become soft. And we've got marriages falling apart. And we've got lives that are being destroyed. And the enemy, the enemy is rejoicing in his his, his victories in this battle. Because not only are husbands and wives marriages falling apart, and even within the church, but how does it affect the body of Christ, but just as important our kids and the lives of our kids and the influence that it has upon our children in numbers chapter 25 we see the passion that we are to have towards these things numbers chapter 25 starting at verse 1 now israel remained in acacia grove this is israel as they were wandering in the wilderness balam or balak balak had hired Balaam to curse god's people and he couldn't but then he found out a little soft spot here he found out a little inroad here. So Israel remained in Acacia Grove and all the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Well, back then, they would worship through sexual acts. And so the women had came in as a lure, if you will, to the men of Israel, and it was working. It says they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you, kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregations of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin or a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into his tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body, so that the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were over 24,000. There was one thrust here with the javelin, and he killed them both at the same time, so you can kind of imagine what they were doing. But do you see how the morals of society were reduced? That this man had this woman. They had both intent, intentions to go and to fornicate. And they go up and he shows, Hey Mo, look at the babe that I got. And then he goes and he walks into the tent with her and they engage what they were engaging in. But there's this man Phineas. Phineas understood the word of God and what was necessary to preserve society. There was 25,000 people that were already dead. And Phineas is is realizing that God isn't blessing us. Matter of fact, cursings are coming upon us because of that, and we need to stop. Church, we need to stop. You've got to make the determination that you're going to have the passion of Phineas, and you're going to snuff these things out while you can. And if it's necessary, take a javelin and stick it through the internet. If that's what's causing you to stumble. If it's your iPad, iBook, or whatever it might be, the computer, you do not have to have any. Stick a javelin through it. Do what is ever necessary for holiness so that your house would not be cursed and your kids would not be killed. Obviously, I'm not talking about a physical death, but a slow spiritual death. Phineas was going to have absolutely no part of it. It's a shame that that man and that woman had to die, but he could not allow the whole congregation of the Lord to be destroyed. Back in Colossians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, <clears throat> because of these things, the things listed in chapter 5 that we just talked about, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked, When you lived with them. See, it was in the old life that, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, yeah, to the world, it's not going to be a big deal. And we can go out there and tell the world to stop doing these things. Stop the homosexual thing. Stop doing abortions. Stop, you know, we need to get rid of pornography. Well, they say, what's the big deal? Because they're doing what comes natural to them. First, the church needs to stop doing those things. And then secondly, we need to go out there and tell them about Jesus Christ. We need to evangelize them because that's what's going to turn the nation. We can't go out there and tell them to act contrary to their nature because you can go out and you can feed the dog filet mignon and you can tell the dog, I'm going to feed you this every single night. But sooner or later, he's going to go out in the backyard, he's going to puke and he's going to re-eat the puke when he can have filet mignon. Why? Because that's what dogs naturally do. The dog returns to his own vomit. The pig, you can pull the pig out of the mud you can give him a nice shower and you put a little lipstick and hair liner on it and the whole thing and all that. Make a pretty nice looking pig. But sooner or later, he's going out back out to the mud because that's what pigs do. And if we tell the world that they've got to stop doing this and they've got to stop doing that, and even if they would listen and stop doing it for a while, sooner or later, they're going to go back to doing what heathens do. There's got to be a change, and there's got to be an inward change just as surely as there was an inward change with you. Because I guarantee you, the list that I just read, somehow, some way, we all are involved in those things. And I pray that we are no longer, it's no longer to be said of us. And so, we can look at these things. Again, verses 6 and 7. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We as Christians can look at these things and think... Well, the world seems to be getting away with them, Pastor Mike. I haven't seen 25,000 people die. Well, you've seen a lot more of that die of AIDS. You've seen a lot more of that be infected with venereal diseases and the increase in that, and it still increases even today. Well, you can make a case. Well, look at Hugh Hefner. He's he, he skated by quite effectively. He lives in the lap of luxury. Well, verse 6 is telling us that payday is one day going to come. It's going to come. One day, he's going to have to stand before God and give an account of himself. And then it's going to be the lake of fire and brimstone. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part, future event, in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so maybe they are living in the lap of luxury today, but tomorrow at some point they're going to stand before a holy God and they are going to stand before a holy God in absolute terror. So somewhere, somehow, something's got to change. And we've been changed. And maybe you have been changed. Truly a born-again believer. But Pastor Mike, I continue to struggle today. I continue to struggle. Well, notice this, or know this. If God has commanded you to not do it, God will enable you to do it and it'll also provide the means for you to continue to work against doing it. Now we already saw that in 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. If you're faithful to repent, it doesn't mean that repent is that word if you look it up, it's a constant repentance. It doesn't mean well you get one free pass and after that you're toast. No, if you're faithful to repent every time. Now you're not using that ability to repent as an excuse to do it. This is for stumbling, not for jumping. But again, if you're faithful to print, uh, repent, he's faithful to forgive, and he's just to forgive. And probably the greatest section of Scripture when it comes to repentance is Psalm chapter 51. It's to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him and he had gone, uh, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now that title is inspired, it's inspired word of God as well. And so you got King David. What did he do? He committed adultery impregnated another man's wife and then murdered the man and there was probably a few other people with that man at the time who got killed as well. So, mass murderer and adulterer. And here we see the picture of his repentance. It says, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 13. Have mercy upon me. He's saying, Lord, don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Now, he's not saying, have mercy on me, God, because I'm just such a nice guy. I didn't really mean it. He knows that he meant it. He did it. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out as if they never existed. Blot out my transgressions. Transgression is a willful sin. Knowing it's sin and doing it. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, and this is instrumental in repentance, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, acknowledging his sinful nature. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so this is the inner man who no longer desires that list that we saw in verse 5 back in uh, Colossians chapter 3. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, the salvation that we receive from God, and uphold me by your generous Spirit, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. Then people will see me and I can boldly express, I'm not a perfect person. And the problem is we so put people behind the pulpit on some huge pedestal and present them as perfect people, and then we develop these relationships with them that it's almost as if our whole salvation is based upon them, and then you have that person fall and it destroys a congregation. We saw it recently with Bob Coy, and again, it seems like every year there's somebody and somebody else. Our hope and our trust is into God because it's God who's faithful. It's God who's just. And it's God who forgives sins. Back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Just when you thought you had it all down, here's more to the list. Paul switches from sexual to sensual sins. And again, it seems as if these even occur within the body of Christ. And the idea is if you have put off the previous, now put off these as well. And so what are you to put off? Take off. Take off from yourself anger. Anger. Anger at your spouse. Anger at your boss. Anger at your children. Definitely anger at your pastor. Anger in general. Anger. Don't be an angry person. You know angry people. Some of us can just look in the mirror. My dad, my dad was always angry about something. And, and again, those people, you never really want to really have a relationship. You see them coming and you kind of step aside or maybe even run away because you just don't want to deal with it. We all know people like that, but you ought not to be a person like that. See, the, this type of person has absolutely no opportunity for ministry. And if you're an angry person, then you have no opportunity for people to really receive of you. Anger, anger. What do I do when I sense anger? Usually you shout, and if you want to shout, that's okay. Shout to God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. And next it says to put off wrath. Anger is something that smolders inside. Wrath is the outward expression of anger that occurs after the fuse is burnt. It's popping your top or blowing your lid. It's those outbursts that, oh, here he goes, here she goes one more time. You've allowed the anger to fester. You never did anything with it. and Now there's this outward expression. Romans chapter 2, verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, indignation, and wrath. I remember there was a, we had a skate park at our old property. And the insurance company didn't want anybody there when we weren't open. And so we put chains across the ramp so kids couldn't, it wasn't because we were mean, it was just because we had to. Well, somebody was driving by and they saw some kids out there and they had bolt cutters and they were cutting the chains off of our, our ramps. He went over there and yelled them and they ran off and ran away. He says, and he came in off, he goes, here, they, they left the bolt cutters. And oh, okay, so I just set them aside. And... Uh, that was on a Saturday. The next day was Sunday and it was our evening service. We had just finished and somebody said, hey, Pastor Mike, there's a young kid outside and he wants to know if we have his bolt cutters. <laughs> I had to put off wrath because wrath was bubbling within my belly at that time. I remember going after him just thinking, and it's a good thing, the Lord met me in between what I heard and going towards what I was going to do. And so I just basically told him, you know, what do you want? And he goes, I want my bolt cutters. Actually, he says, they're my dad's bolt cutters. And I told him, "Will you send your dad back here to get them, and I'll give them to you. I think we still have the bolt cutters. <laughs> this next one's important. We are to put off malice. Malice, the idea here is, is the chuckling at the misfortune of others. So-and-so just filed bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah, they deserved it. So and so just got a divorce. Well, yeah, you know, I could see that one coming. So and so just lost their house. Yeah, well, that makes me feel better because I'm not losing my house. And again, it's building yourself off the back of somebody else, it's rejoicing in iniquities of other people and even in their sin. And if you have issues here, just read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and get a good idea on what a loving, born again believer is to be. Next, we are to put off blasphemy. This isn't so much blasphemy against God. It's malicious talk or slander against somebody else. Now, again, you can say, well, I don't do that. But this is malicious talk or slander, even if it's true. Even if they're deserving of it. And so you so easily fall into the category of gossip, backstabbing, or even prayer with the intent to do harm. Gossip, I heard gossip described this way some time ago. Gossip is somebody who feels that they have the gift of confessing other people's sins for them. them. And again, we can so do that, talk about everybody else's sin. What does the Bible say? It says confess your own sin. And you should pretty much have a full slate right there that you ought not to be worrying about anybody else's. I'm speaking of us all. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Filthy language out of your mouth. That's pretty obvious what that is. Ephesians 4 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace for the hearers. Why has God given you this thing? to give glory to him. Why is this called the word because it's supposed to be spoken to somebody else. Use your mouth to glorify God. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. The idea here is bearing false witness. If you agree to a statement when you install your computer pro How many of you lie? And well you don't have to raise your hand. That's okay. We have, well, at least we have one honest person. Everybody else is really lying. But I got a good test for you. How many people, now you can raise your hand on this one. How many people have computers? And I assume, you know, pad, whatever. I assume that if you have a computer, you have programs on the computer because it doesn't really work. So you go to install the program on it. And then at the end, somewhere along the line, it says, read this statement. And at the end, it says, have you read this statement? And you click that box and you can go on. You're a bunch of liars. You know it already. (laughs) Because you clicked the box and you didn't read the statement. I'm in the same boat. I do the same exact thing. This can even be attached to those who have right information but the wrong implication, the wrong desires. Again, the desires to hurt somebody else. Verse 9, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Christ is the image of God. We are to be the image of Christ. When I look at Christ, I see the Father. When they look at me, they should see Jesus Christ in me. Well, there is neither, and now just the idea here is, this is this holy family. There is neither Greek nor Jew. When it says Greek, it more than likely means Gentile. Circumcised or uncircumcised, it matters not which one. Barian or Scythian, Scythian would be peoples from around the area of Russia. Slave nor free. Don't think yourself anything less because you're a slave or anything more because you're free. But Christ is all and in all. We are all possessors of the Lord Jesus Christ. One last thing here. Put on the new man. New is used two different ways. There's new in time and there's new in quality. New in time... I was a newborn baby boy at some point. A newborn. I, I came and from the relationship with my parents and boom, there are new baby boy. But then there came the day that I was born again. See, there was new in time. That's what I celebrate every year, December 6, 1957, in case you wanted to know when my birthday was for <laughs> gifting purposes. But then there was new. there was new in quality. And that was the day that I was born again. That was the day that Jesus saved me. And that was the day that God began a new work in me who's, well, he's going to be faithful to complete it all the way through to the end, either of the church age or my participation in that church age. It's a wonderful thing that God has done. And so Christian, based upon what God has done in your life, what are you prepared to do? One thing you better be prepared to do is to go to battle. England suffered devastation because they weren't prepared to do the necessary things. But we must be prepared to do the necessary thing. It's only then that we're going to see revival come back to this society, to our nation. Father, once again, we just thank You for Your Word. Your Word that is very clear. Your Word that is very powerful. Your Word, Lord, that is as that double-edged sword that, that strikes deep, even to the marrow, even to the DNA of who we are. And I just pray, Father, that these things that we read about would be the things that we do. And Father, I believe that You've given us a very practical lesson today that we can go home and we can start fighting that battle. And I pray for this church that we would survey our homes. What are the things in that home that causes fornication and everything else listed in that house? What are the things that cause anger and everything listed under that heading to be prevalent in my life? That, Father, we would kill those things off. And so, Lord, we just pray, Father, for purity within the body of Christ, purity within our lives. And again, Father, we know, we know that we're not going to live in perfection, but we still can walk in victory because you are the God who forgives. May we be quick to repent. And so, Father, we just thank you. I pray these things we talked about would truly be real in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We all stand, please?